Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It, okay, you're talking about Ecclesiastes and uh, is, a, uh, is a collection of uh, writings from an earthly viewpoint. And in other words, this... Uh, uh, this is written from the man's viewpoint as far as life and the natural life is concerned and gives us tremendous statements concerning that fact. In other words, it gives us the true state of man. And uh, as far as the earth is concerned, uh, the dead have their, not their activity upon the earth. No, those that are deceased, that's not their sphere of operation. And David even... Uh, uh, cries out concerning that that uh, when uh, when uh, he uh, uh, ceases to draw his breath that uh, then as far as the earthly orientation that it'll not be there as far as praising the Lord and glorifying the Lord on earth that'll be finished okay and so you have to understand that in relation to the whole of the revelation of the Word of God sister uh, sister pop going to reign with the Lord. Yes. On me. We're joint heirs of all that God has planned. And of course that has to be given balance in the Word of God. We understand that. But uh, uh, this is the beautiful thing that the Lord is working in the church is an understanding of who they are. That's correct, sister. Brother... Uh, did I see your hand? Let me get this one back here first. Uh, Brother uh, Ron Stewart. Rapture and the second coming uh, have two different facets taught in the Word of God. I had some uh, excellent papers done. Do we have any more of those, Tom, left? Or they clean them all out. We print up a bunch of stuff always. We have some more left. Okay, yeah, Ron Stewart needs one of those. He's uh, beginning to study the Word of God, okay? We print up this stuff when conference time is a great time of booty. As our churches carry off droves of literature and all kinds of goodies, and they go off like they've been to a uh, uh, to a, a grab bag. And so uh, we had a bunch of these printed up. I don't know if any were left, but uh, there's two facets of the coming of the Lord. One is the coming for the saints. This is a study, and you need to see this in the Word of God. Unless you see this, you're going to... Uh, miss the truth of coming for the saints and this happens at this period and then there's a coming with the saints which happens at this period these are two separate periods of time Bible scholars believe this is seven years separating and is during this period of time that the tribulation transpires upon the earth and our hope is this right here. Okay. Our glory is this right here. And there's two separate functions. During this period of time, 
the saints are at the judgment seat of Christ. They receive the rewards. Uh, they are uh, blessed. They uh, rejoice in the presence of God and the glory of God upon earth. There is uh, tribulation such as has not ever been seen, Jesus said, upon the earth. A terrible, terrible time upon earth. And this will end and during this period of time is when the devil has his way, unrestrained. He does his thing, which he's trying to do now and is not having his full right of way because of the, the church and their influence upon the earth. And when the church is removed, righteousness is removed, and sin and all its filth and ungodliness and outpouring shall reign upon the earth. And man that wants to sin, he's going to have just all that he wants of it. People that uh, tolerate homosexuals, they're going to get it on good when that happens. People who love uh, unrighteousness and lawlessness and they don't want to be under uh, restraint, uh, they're going to have a whole shot of it then. People who... Uh, do not want to be ruled by Jesus Christ. They're going to be ruled by the Antichrist. And they're gonna, this is going to be a, a, a time that is indescribable in human history before it draws to its conclusion. And so uh, I don't want to be here. I don't intend to be here. Does this help you, Ron? Okay. Well, Jesus never comes to earth. He comes in the clouds and catches us up. Yeah. I don't think so. Every eye will see him at this period of time. Right here, the whole earth. And they that have slain him will mourn because of him, Zechariah said. But I don't think that, that everybody's going to know about this. It's going to be an unexpected time. Sister? That's what the Scripture says. First Thessalonians uh, 4, 13 says, You that are sorrowing, and he said, I'm, uh, I'm writing to you so that you uh, sorrow not for them uh, that, have, uh, that have died, uh, because he says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and still are contending, we're faithful, we shall be caught up to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Yes. Okay, now that's speaking of a resurrection, you see. Fit that in with 1 Corinthians 15. At that period of time, this is when the dead in Christ are resurrected. See, this is resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. When this mortality shall put on immortality, when those that have died in Christ shall be resurrected, and reunited with their bodies when those that are, that are alive and remain shall be changed in a moment, in an atom of time. We shall be changed. Hallelujah. And then uh, this uh, uh, is a completely different changing of the scene. Does this help you, sister? All right, brother. Well, this is, uh, I'm assuming, figurative terms because you're talking about uh, the uh, state of, uh, and, and people being in many, many places. And I'm, uh, and I'm uh, uh, persuaded this is a figurative term of those that have perished in the sea, those that have perished, regardless of where they are. Uh, we're talking about a time when the body, see, this is, a, this is the, the tremendous thing, when the body, and it doesn't matter. So, see, the Bible talks in terms that you and I can understand. See, I don't believe that Luke 6:19 exhausts what hell is or uh, the state of the righteous dead is. 
It simply is in terms that we can understand, and the truth is far greater than that which is described. That torment is something that will be something that you and I can, can not even comprehend. But Jesus describes it as hell fire and torment. And the same with it. So we're talking about figurative language that would uh, describe all, it doesn't matter where they are or what, uh, what their case may have been. They're go there's going to be a, a, a giving up. That's not the final state. In other words, this is the, for these people who are, uh, uh, what do they call them, uh, uh, extinctionists, you know, that say when you're dead, you're dead. Well, the Bible says when you're dead, you're not dead. <laughs> That's just one phase. It's not the finish. The last chapter is not written because God is not through. And so that, that is answering that question that, that is there. Sister? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Don't get carried away. Uh, it says many, not all, and it says bodies, not spirits. Okay, listen closely to me, and I'm going to teach you something. It says all. It says many, not all, and it says bodies, not spirits. This was a special sign of the vindication of what God did. These were people who had lived and they were resurrected and were walking around as a visible testimony. These people died again. Yes. Yes, they died again. Are you listening to me? Okay, mark that down because it'll help you when somebody's trying to throw you a curve. See, the Bible's very distinct. It's so careful in what it says, and you can depend on it. It does not say the spirits of them that died were out walking around. It says the bodies of them. These people rose from the dead as a visible demonstration from God of the vindication of what had just happened on Calvary. And, 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 the, and the gospel writer doesn't, he doesn't attempt to be a theologian. He doesn't even go, he did, just simply declares it. Just, there it is. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. No, no. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this death, the judgment, there's a finality. No, that's uh, erroneous teaching that comes from a place that I could throw a rock and hit. Okay, no second chances. See, Luke 6:19 says, no change, right? It says, let, let him come. Well, let, let one rise from the dead and go tell. Let, uh, and he says, nope, it's final. The curtain fell. Too bad, rich man. This is all, okay? This help you. I had another question right here somewhere. Yes, sister. Yeah. Yeah, you're in a different phase. 
of God's gospel. Sister Kathy? Okay, we're getting sidetracked. Let's, I don't want to get into that now because we're not studying the tribulation. We're studying the, the state of the dead, okay? And that's another study. I want to get into that right now. Let's, let's hold to the, to the status of the dead. Where are the dead, okay? Instead of God's entire plan from generations to revolution, <laughs> which we don't have time to cover this morning. Amen. Okay, let's, I want to move on for a moment unless we have another real pertinent question. Sister? That means that they were, that they are in the presence of the Lord, which is heaven. But we're talking about raise. We're talking about resurrection. Okay, so the dead in Christ shall raise first. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one, uh, or the entire chapter. First Corinthians fifteen uh, is a is a parallel passage. It talks about the changing of the bodies. And this incorruptible, and so when it's talking about race, talk about resurrection, sister. Those that have died in Christ shall be resurrected. This is talking about the glorified body. Okay, you just hang in there, would you? You just keep reading that book, and you have all these pieces to fit in in your mind. Just read the book. God will te tell you all that He wants you to know about it. She's a new convert, and uh, new converts have a, an intense appetite for God's Word and spiritual things, and that's good. Okay, let's, uh, uh, let's uh, think about what we've studied so far instead of traveling far afield anymore. Let's think about what we've studied so far, and let's try to nail down from Luke 16, 19, a number of facts. You do, I want you to just state to me facts concerning what we've learned. Dave Burke. Our citizenship is in heaven now. Okay? That means what? We're heaven bound. Okay. Our uh, thing is not on this earth. Someone else. Facts that we have learned in, in the where are the dead. Quickly, just fire them out all over the building. Sister Sandra. Names are in the book of life. Someone else. Danny Brown. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Someone else. Sister. Appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. This uh, is, a, is a very potent scripture that we're going to kind of toy around with today. Very good. That has many meaningful uh, ramifications before we finish with that. Sister Nancy. Uh, uh, yeah. He's preparing a place for us, or has prepared it. One or the other. And, uh, okay. Yeah. How many people are going to be? Place of torment. We don't want to go there, do we? We want to be saved when the death bell rings. Okay. Someone else. Paul? Although we sleep, as far as the body is concerned, death is not sleeping, and we are either in heaven or in hell. Okay, very good. Someone else. 
Someone else help us. Praise the Lord. Okay, would you take the word of God? The Bible says they're with Christ if they're saved. We just went through all that, Thelma. Amen. That they're with Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise as the resurrection. Talking about the resurrection. Talking about that which will transpire at that estate when the soul, the spirit, and the body are reunited. Change, 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, okay. All right, we won't believe the Bible. Amen. All right, let's look then at, uh, at some uh, statements. Uh, as a matter of fact, we ought to... Uh, uh, did we read John 14, 1 and 2? Did we uh, go through that last week? John 14... 1 and 2. Did we read Philippians 1, 21 through 24? Something's wrong with this P.A. Brother. When's the ring coming out? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Did we read that? And 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4. Did we read that? Okay. Uh, and how about uh, uh, Deuteronomy 34? Did we come to grips with that? What? Hebrews 12.1. Did we read through that? Okay. Uh, we have a very uh, uh, popular teaching that is in the uh, uh, that is in the world today, and it's giving expression through a number of uh, different. Uh, uh, widely separated philosophies and, uh, and disciplines and religions. And uh, this is a doctrine or teaching or a, uh, a persuasion called reincarnation. How many have ever heard of reincarnation? Becoming very popular. Uh, it uh, uh, has always been taught in the Eastern disciplines. Uh, in uh, part of their doctrine has been embraced. Uh, it has had its manifestation in many uh, different uh, systems of thought. Uh, many of the cult doctrines and the cult teachings uh, have a synonymous, regardless of where they're going or what they're saying, uh, they have a synonymous term or an embracing of the same uh, conviction, and that conviction is reincarnation at one state or another. This runs through uh, the uh, Eastern uh, religions. And this runs through uh, spiritualism. Uh, 
and comes through that it comes into uh, Scientology and and uh, etc and etc has its expressions in many uh, uh, cult religions at the moment that have to do with the biofeedback to the bio systems and there's a half a dozen different ones now that are that are being expressed and so this is becoming a very prominent doctrine reincarnation and uh, depending on what the posture is from which they're speaking it says that uh, you uh, don't have to worry if you if you're a, if you're a dirty bird now why hold on and do good and and in the next life you'll be born and maybe you'll be a not so dirty bird but if you're just really bad why you're going to be in trouble the next time you're reincarnated and so we evolve from uh, from eon to eon and from uh, century to century and from uh, life to life we evolve until we finally have come to a state of perfection or karma or or um, uh, maturity or bliss or whatever there may be the terms that they use and the thought is there that we are evolving now this is becoming extremely popular because man innately knows down inside he may say I'm an atheist but my friend there are no atheists in foxholes whether they be on the battlefield or whether they be uh, uh, in the in the circumstances of life you find that uh, that there's no atheist down deep inside man knows that there is a creator there is a superior being and uh, he inherently uh, embraces that fact and he will pray when the chips are down it's a very rare creature I've never known one that would not pray when the chips were down okay so man knowing this uh, uh, in the early part of our century and uh, up until probably the late uh, 50s or early 60s probably the late 50s was the most prominent we were into a period of rationalism and this means that everything that was uh, that was real was sense knowledge you could either taste see it feel it hear it smell it uh, and if it wasn't it didn't fit into those why well, didn't exist it just wasn't so and so everything could be solved by human uh, technology by science by uh, psychologists by uh, education by uh, uh, by uh, materialism uh, dialectic materialism says that if everybody had everything that he that he needed everybody had his own house everybody had his own bank account everybody had his own uh, job why people would be good they wouldn't steal commit fornication drunk uh, drink uh, murder uh, uh, do drugs all that is everybody be good well that's not so and uh, so over a period of time man began to reject that and he began to search out for uh, spiritual things he knew that there were spiritual things and he began to reach out towards them and then the uh, uh, because of the uh, the the uh, drought in so-called uh, religions uh, and uh, especially in the uh, Western world the uh, the Christian religions without reality had a form of godliness but it had no power no reality no moving of the spirit no dynamic power to change people's lives why uh, the, the generation began to become involved in drugs and drugs led into uh, spiritual experiences which they had and then this led them on into investigation experimentation with the cult and so uh, an explosion is upon us at the moment of uh, spiritual activity or investigating the unseen world looking back into and uh, we could uh, give a thought with this uh, uh, 
an occasion called the Bridie Murphy experience where a uh, young woman was hypnotized and she supposedly regressed back into a past life. And in that past life, uh, her name was Bridie Murphy and she was an English girl and so all these uh, things began to unfold and under the power of, of hypnosis, she began to relate facts that she could not have possibly uh, have known. Uh, in this life and they were accurate, historically accurate and so an intense interest began to come in that until today you have many systems and uh, many uh, uh, approaches that are toying with and that have embraced the the system of evolvement which really is reincarnation. Now may I say this to you that any system regardless of whether it may have a Christian label or may have quote from the Bible, whether it's spiritualism, whether it's an Eastern discipline, whether it's a scientific, uh, pseudo-scientific spiritualist uh, orientation that teaches a system of evolvement is not true. The Bible teaches, my friend, that you and I do not evolve into anything. We degenerate. And man has yet to prove that he has evolved on earth. But there's a great body of evidence that goes to show that he has rather degenerated and does degenerate unless there's an outside influence that God lifts him from that state. And if we are to ever be better, the Scripture declares, if we are to ever in our nature come to a higher state or a better state, it's going to have to be a plan of God's redemptive power reaching down. If we're ever going to make heaven our home, it means that God's going to have to do something. We're not going to evolve to it. It's going to be imputed and imparted. Imputed means that God's going to lay it to our account and He's going to impart it to us so that we can partake of it and embrace it and it become real. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. How that lost humanity has no hope and he is not evolving. He's getting worse and worse. He's a lost sheep wandering farther and farther and farther from the fold. But God in the person of his Son came out seeking mankind and has wrought a salvation that does not evolve but that says to him, the moment he believes, God says, you are forgiven, you're a child of God, and gives him a status of uh, relationship with him and eternal salvation. And so this is the plan of God. And uh, this uh, is uh, in direct opposition to what is being taught in the occult world. We could approach this in several different ways. I have an interesting book that uh, I thought perhaps you might be interested to share with me. And uh, I wouldn't waste my money on the book. It's written by a local author, uh, Alan Weissman, the young man that did the article on us uh, some two years ago, 18 months ago, that was in the Arizona Republic. So he wrote a book. And uh, the book is... Um, uh, concerning hypnotic regression seminars done by a local young man uh, called uh, Dick Sutphin. He's a local celebrity. And uh, this, uh, this fellow goes around hypnotizes people. And in hypnosis, why, they begin to speak out uh, all kinds of different things. And they find out what their past life was and uh, whether it reaches back into the 16th century or 15th century or wherever it may be, they start telling about what kind of people they were. Then... This is all recorded, and uh, then they uh, take a look at their all their personality traits, and et cetera, and et cetera, and uh, they are what they are today because of what they were in another life. And so examining all of that and realizing this, then they can come to grips with this and begin to understand why 
that they are like they are. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> you know why? Why? It's because you're a sinner. See, but we want anything. See, God is not my fault. Lord, it's not my fault. <clears throat> my daddy caught me with a hand in a cookie jar when I was small. He beat my bottom. And my personality is all warped. And now I hate my daddy. And so... You don't, you don't hate him because he beat your bottom because your hand was in a cookie jar. You hate him because you just like to hate. And you let give way to hate. And it seized a hold of your heart. And you refuse to lay down that. And so uh, this sounds familiar. The reason it sounds familiar is that instead of sitting on a psychologist or psychiatrist's couch, amen, and having him probe back into your past, and find out all the traumatic experiences that you've had that has made you what you are. Now we're going to go into uh, hypnosis. And hypnosis is going to find out through regression into past life. The problem is, becomes, you see, isn't it interesting how these things begin to kind of flow together? See, this is why I don't believe in the body of psychological uh, catharsis, and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera, and et cetera. I didn't a long time ago, and the older I become, the more I do not. See, anyone who's around human nature for a while can begin to recognize facets of human nature. They can tell you uh, what your hang-up is, but knowing what your hang-up is does not cure you, beloved. They are cults, yes, but I'm not speaking of them particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mormonism embraces reincarnation, yes, in a spiritual sense because they, uh, they approach it from a uh, so-called eternal perspective. But that's what's taught and that's what's embraced there, yes. Fine young Jewish boy, and um, that many of our people have witnessed too. And so he called me on the phone, and he said to me, he said, "I'm doing a, uh, I'm going to do a book on." Uh, he told me about this fellow, and he said, uh, "I would really like to have the opinion of a Pentecostal preacher concerning this business of past life regression and hypnosis and reincarnation." And he said, "Would you be willing to un undergo an interview?" Uh, with me to, um, uh, to uh, discuss the, the Bible perspective. And uh, I said, uh, well, I suppose if you think that that's what you want, why, fine. And so he asked me if, if he brought uh, Dick Sutherland with me, would I talk with Dick? I said, oh, yeah, I'd talk with Dick, but uh, we're probably going to be on a different channel, I can tell you that. And, uh, and uh, I'm not going to sit and listen to uh, five hours of uh, philosophy. And uh, I simply will tell you what the Bible believes, and here I stand. Praise God. So anyhow, uh, he wasn't able to uh, bring the young man to talk, but 
anyhow, he wrote a chapter in this book for the gospel. And it isn't slanted too bad. It's not bad. He wrote it almost like it was written. And I thought maybe you would uh, like the interview, and I thought maybe you'd be interested in it this morning uh, in this, uh, uh, in this uh, study concerning where are the dead. And I quote from uh, page 249. In the town of Prescott, headquarters of Dick Sutphin's growing work is another rapidly accelerating parallel movement. The Foursquare Gospel Church is really not new. Miss Amy McPherson began it some 40 years ago in California. She faded into obscurity, and many of the Pentecostal-type churches she started remained in existence. But for the most part, they became withdrawn bastions of fundamentalism, preaching God, not Amy, behind closed doors. But in 1970, a minister named Raymond O. Mitchell took over the Prescott branch, and things started to warm up. He jolted his state congregation by welcoming hippies and turned them and their youthful energies into aggressive shock troops for the Lord. As a matter of fact, we had a few older folk that we welcomed in, too. <laughs> this is the way the gospel was meant to be preached, he now exhorts, and he sends them on guerrilla missions to play loud attention, getting Jesus rock music and hand out tracts and pamphlets in the streets of Prescott and other Arizona towns. He unabashedly describes their ministry as militant. We don't intend to pray timidly inside the church while sin abounds in the streets. This approach has won the Foursquare Gospel Church a number of converts, about 400 in Prescott alone. Mitchell's mostly youngest forces have started, last count, 20 affiliate churches in other parts of Arizona and even Mexico. He's also won them some annoyed neighbors and some arrests, mostly for disturbing the peace or refusing to cease preaching in public places. But running afoul of the law is included in their strategy. The more notoriety, the better in a society that condones public pot-puffing but condemns prayer in school. They choose to follow God's laws first. I once wrote a piece about the Foursquare describing their methods in some detail, and I was amused by the results. Those people in uh, uh, Prescott who considered them a nuisance congratulated me for revealing the truth about them, while the Foursquare people themselves thanked me for representing us exactly as we are. <laughs> Having thus ingratiated myself, I decided it might be interesting to pay Reverend Mitchell a call to see if he had some relevant comments about the work of his fellow Prescottonian, Dick Sutphin, or if he'd be willing to answer to Sutphin's claim that Pentecostal preachers use a lot of hypnotism during their sermon. Before our interview, I attended a Sunday service to refresh my memory about the four square and to check out the voice role theory for myself. Dick Sutphin says that we have a voice role and when people come, we hypnotize them and uh, that's how we keep it. Well, praise God. I've never been so happy in my life. I got hypnotized 23 years ago. And uh, if that's what he wants to call it, why? But that's not really what it is. Okay. Uh, before our interview, uh, their service. Uh, is marvelously inspiring or entertaining, depending on one's point of view. Ritual hymns start things off, accompanied by tambourines, twin organs and electric bass guitars with Fender amps. <laughs> Hands rise in adoration and exultation. Then the voices swirl into the magnificent cacophony of speaking in tongues. Four hundred strong, each divinely inspired, filled with the Holy Spirit. The jumble is beautifully orchestrated. After a while, from amid the din, one voice rises higher than the rest, crisply enunciating each syllable of a mystical non-language over the drone of his fellow congregants. At the point, Reverend Mitchell responds, translating the intent. 
Lord, oh Jesus, we know you love us and are here with us right now. I don't know where you got that, but it's okay. The swell subsides after 10 minutes, followed by church notices and testimony reports from guerrilla units. We handed out tracts at Chandler High School, and then the police came and told us to leave. But the kids who were ignoring us before were suddenly on our side and yelling at the police, and three of them were saved right there on the spot. And isn't it wonderful how the Lord is working with us? Applause. Eventually came Mitchell's sermon, a 40-minute Bible thumper about the end of the world. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Entitled, The Terminal Generation. Whether he used hypnotic techniques or not, I couldn't tell. But the man is a masterful manipulator of an audience. <laughs> On crescendoing ways, his voice came at us, punctuated by dramatic pauses at exquisitely timed moments. Responses from the congregation of, Amen and Yes, Brother, filled, uh, commonly filled these spaces. At one time, I find myself and everyone else nodding to his rhythm, <laughs> which he would skillfully build to a pitch and then release. If you just pause for a moment, I've got to make a battery change. It is so funny to read, and, I, and I'm not degrading this young man, but it's so funny to read someone from another viewpoint and recognize the definite convictions <laughs> that come through uh, what they're trying to say. And it's just, it's fantastic to see this. And, uh, and this young man is, uh, is a young man that uh, thinks he's a seeker after truth and was tremendously convicted. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's uh, uh, go on. Uh, he might deny being a hypnotist, I noted, as I watched him storm up and down the length of the center stage, but he definitely relies on the strength of a delivery to get across a message. A few days later, we met in his office, and this is where we get down to the meat of what we want to say. A slight man in his 40s whose physique belies the energy it contains. Mitchell has a care-creased face, a prominent widow's beak, a peak. <laughs> <laughs> that, means he's, that means he's getting bald-headed. And eyes that alternately sh shine kindly or flame like brimstone, depending on what's on his mind. I told him what was on mine, and he got right down to business. Yes, I agree. They do go into trances when this fellow Setfin hypnotizes them. They do attain a state of altered consciousness, and before you ask the next question, I'll also stipulate that they do unquestionably come up with completely accurate historical facts, which there's no way they could possibly have known things their minds couldn't have consciously obtained in these lines. These things are not unusual, but they're not reincarnation. They're a result of the invasion of the mind by demonic spirits who have existed on the earth for thousands of years. The Bible explains that these are demonic entities whose purpose is to delude mankind, especially today when we've been in a spiritual vacuum. Anyone 
who is halfway knowledgeable about what's going on in the world knows that spiritual and supernatural uh, trance states are not common to, to any kind of, uh, of uh, uh, cult religion, but are synonymous to several of them. And that people uh, have spoken out supernaturally uh, as to uh, uh, information that they've not uh, understood or not received uh, through natural senses. And so uh, I began to explain this to him. And he quoted from Deuteronomy 18:10 through 12. That's me quoting. And there shall be not be found among you anyone that uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are abomination unto the Lord. These, he explained, covered astrologers, observers of time, hypnotists, consulters uh, with uh, familiar spirits. And he crossed up his information here because that's not what they are. The mediums or necromancers. Uh, a medium knowingly talks to dead souls and other entities, he said, while a hypnotist is always not aware that what he thinks to be the subconscious speaking is really a mystical force. If you read Acts 19, 13 through 20, you'll see that exorcists and supernaturalists and their like are nothing new. They've been around since before the time of Jesus. Then what, in your opinion, is supernature? Are you implying that it does exist, I ask? Anything beyond the normal faculty of man's capabilities or knowledge, anything not of God in the Bible, is demonic. God forbids us to be deceived, and this includes the so-called white witches, good spells, spiritualists, and so on and so forth. I've seen people use this power for what they thought to be good, only to come completely apart years later. I asked then about a regression I'd heard of, in which the person, notice he'd heard of that, he never saw it. In which the person, an agnostic, saw himself in a vivid lifetime during the time of Jesus and, as a result, became a devout uh, Christian. And I weigh that with great uh, reservation. I'd like to hear the end of the story on that. And I don't go by hearsay. When I preach, beloved, it's something I've seen and heard. There are people in here that are the evidences of what the gospel proclaims, not some tale that somebody's told about something that's been passed by human uh, uh, reason and, and, uh, and operated on according to human mind. He smiled at me in a fatherly manner and offered advice. Never measure on the short term, Alan. These techniques often produce what appear to be good effects. They'd have to, or people wouldn't keep coming back to them. Cigarette smokers, for instance, can be hypnotized into giving up tobacco. But a transference takes place to another level of consciousness. The nervous problem that led to smoking simply deepens and will manifest again in another way. This is true of all the methods, uh, transcendental meditation and so on and so forth. They all propose positive benefits in psychic healing. They may actually remove the physical symptom. It seems very positive, but it's only temporary. The difficult may lie dormant for years, as in the case of a woman I know of, who received helpful messages from a Ouija board. Today she's in an organ mental institution. I'd seen a pamphlet on Christian healing on my way into the uh, church, so I asked him, what was the difference? Only through experience can you see the difference. Eventually, solutions brought about by such people as Sutphin don't hang together. Christian healing comes through a state of clarity of mind, positive uplifting, genuine unselfishness. These are rare things outside Christianity. I refrained from arguing with that assertion and went back to my first question on reincarnation. Was there any chance that it did exist? I asked about the born-again quote, which I had occasionally heard interpreted by reincarnationists to support their belief. Apparently, he disagreed. 
That's an improper inference. Christ makes a distinction in that chapter of being born of the flesh and being born of the Spirit. The person undergoes a miraculous metamorphosis and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside his soul. There's no biblical foundation for reincarnation or pre-existence. But there is another reference which appears to him. This is, uh, this is him, Alan uh, uh, Wiseman speaking. At rebirth, even more cogently, according to some. At the end of the Old Testament, in Malachi 4, 5, it stated that Elijah the prophet will return to precede the Messiah. Accordingly, when the disciples question about why they've not yet witnessed this, he replies, Matthew 17, 12 through 13, But I say unto you that Elias, or Elijah, is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Then the disciples understood that he spoke unto them of John the Baptist. Did this imply that uh, John uh, was Elijah reincarnated, Wiseman asked. No, again, Reverend Mitchell asserted, this is simply a spiritual allusion to the ministry of Elijah, which prepared John to prepare the way for the Lord. You can't read reincarnation into this form of expression. During the Fourth Council, uh, Century Council of Nicaea, a group of early Christians were assembled by Constantine the Great to decide definitely what was the gospel and what wasn't. It is said that portions dealing with reincarnation were excluded. Knowing... Uh, that fundamentalist Christians consider the selection process at Nicaea to have been divinely inspired. I did not challenge Reverend Mitchell with questions such as who actually wrote the Bible, how long after the event occurred, did they get around to writing them down, and so on and so forth. Uh, and if, if he wanted to know this, he could have uh, asked this, and I would have put literature in his hand. Let him do his own research, because uh, it's very interesting. And if you're here and you are sincerely interested, you ought to read evidence that uh, demands a verdict. A tremendous book that reads a range of history, and uh, it uh, is quite interesting reading. Okay. Instead, I ask, what about the overwhelming majority of the world's population who grew up in cultures where they never even hear the New Testament or Jesus Christ? Most of them, in fact, are raised under belief systems that accept or include reincarnation as a tenet. Are they damned to hell out of an accident of birth? Reverend Mitchell, surrounded by Christian paperback books in his sparse, cramped little office, <laughs> nodded agreeably to this question. He was enjoying the opportunity to talk about his favorite subject, God versus Satan, especially since I promised him it would go into a book which would draw much of its readership from the ranks of the opposition. Suppose, he began, I put you in a factory that produced fine furniture. You could set the machinery in motion to do the job, or you could take a hammer to it and start creating chaos. Just so, man has made chaos out of the free choice God has given us in this world. Those nations with the most chaos, hunger, diseases, unstable governments, are the very cultures you speak of. But God is not willing that man continue to move in chaos. Thus, he gave us the gospel. Thus, Christ sacrificed himself to reconcile man's state, to remove him from de delusion, and he will reveal himself to all. Incidentally, there's an excellent article in the Arizona Republic, I couldn't tell you when, of an Indian man from India who writes concerning the appalling conditions in his country. And it's a very interesting insight to the very thing which is stated right here. If you want to see what the religion of a country produces, look at the country. He went on to the voice roll. I told him of Sutphin's admission that he'd studied the Pentecostal preachers, and Mitchell got a real kick out of that. He may have even been complimented. But as for the deliberate use of a voice roll by himself or any of his colleagues, he stated... I don't even have to defend that one. The basis of his Sutphin statement is that this is what actually happens when someone speaks.
that a regular rhythm is hypnotizing people. He'd have to show scientific data. In other words, show me a case. Isn't it interesting? Praise the Lord. It's interesting how single standard applies. <laughs> Glory to God. Okay. Maybe it's true on the news or commercial, but there would have to be proof. And personally, I've never seen an altered state of consciousness here in church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a different thing. Uh, is a transcendental thing, not a manipulated, mind-altering. But how do you know? It is really the Holy Spirit, I argued. If the speaking in tongues is really untranslatable, how do you know that this is not an evilness coming through? His answers were always ready. Because it depends on what's being asked. For supernatural experiences, people are simply wanting to get high. But these people want to get to God, to have Him take up residence within them. It's an accepted phenomenon that in the occult world, people often get the things they ask for. But that opens up them up to all kinds of trouble. It says in Matthew 7, 11, that even evildoers can give gifts, but they don't compare with the Lord's. I'm familiar, this is Wiseman again, with Matthew 7, one of the most oft-quoted biblical portions. It has always puzzled me, though, that the chapter says to beware of false prophets, but also admonishes, judge not that you be not judged. Hard to tell who's a phony when you're withholding judgment. This scripture, judge not that you be not judged, has nothing to do with making judgment concerning the realities of life. It's a favorite passage of phonies of every kind, backsliders by the ream. Judge not that you be not judged. Well, why did Jesus say? Then, look at the fruit of the tree. See whether it's good or whether it's bad. See? Okay, let's go on. But you shall know them by their fruits, Reverend Mitchell retorted, also drawn from the same portion of Matthew. Then he turned to Galatians, which lists the fruit of the flesh and the spirit, respectively. Flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, strife, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Spirit, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These, he said, are the measures which must be put against the life of a Christian. The genuine test is life and time, and the Christians have spiritual fruit while the others succumb to the flesh. Incidentally, there's an excellent article written in Time or Newsweek magazine. Uh, uh, I think it was October 1976, and uh, it had to do with the whole range of the occult and metaphysical. And as you'll examine that, you'll begin to understand and see the very thing that we talked about here is that in uh, none of these disciplines is morals ever a factor. Is the lifestyle ever investigated or declared or demanded? Simply experience in the supernatural realm. Are you listening to me? You very quickly begin to see that when we talk about the Bible, immediately we're talking about a demand for a lifestyle. Okay, let's go on. Uh, I mentioned some of the old Eastern masters I'd known, Hindus and Tibetans, who seemed to have reasonably met the test of time by leading long, unselfish, holy lives. He laughed this off. Anyone can give an affected outward show of peace or love. Like the Maharishi, the TM dude who sells it at $125 a crack. That's me. I'm saying that. Or lover boy, Guru Maharaji. He didn't last too long. 
I admit, though, it's a difficult thing to prove, but look at those like Bishop Pike who decided to go off and do an anti-Christian occult thing by trying to contact his dead son. He lived the end of his life in chaos and died alone of uh, thirst in the desert just west of Jordan. There's no short-term test, but the Word of God is here, he said, indicating the black leather-bound Bible in front of him. And it has been proven. Before I could question this, he added, you're open-minded. Go try to disprove it. Many have set out to do it and have come away convinced that everything is true and they were converted. He mentioned some sources I could look up. Well, it's tr if it's true, I answered, then why are so many turning to occult spiritualism, hypnosis, and other such things for guidance? Momentarily, he frowned. This was the problem against which he had dedicated his life. You see, Alan, he began, the last generation, my own generation, was not too spiritually inclined. We became technically oriented, fascinated by our scientific abilities to solve all our own problems and decide our own destiny ourselves, or so we thought. People felt they didn't need God anymore, opening the doors for all this supernatural activity demonically inspired to appear. But now the cycles are speeding up. I interrupted here, this is Wiseman, here to say that Dick Sutphin uses the very same phrase. He nodded in agreement. He's right. There's a great bid now for the souls of man, and God is no longer being subtle about it, but he's bidding openly, making bold pitches for a soul. He misquotes me there. I'm talking about the devil, and he, uh, he, uh, he misquoted me there, but that's all right. It is to, we'll live through it. But the phenomena in this generation that is very compelling is that now educated people are involved in occult matters and spiritualism throughout history used to be the illiterates in the dark ages the outcasts and the rejects believed in witchcraft but now you have college professors buying and assigning occult books you have doctors who are the head warlocks in seances and covens an intelligent jungle is being generated where the smartest people are using scientific analysis to turn themselves into savages to believe the same things as the heathen do in regions of Haiti Jamaica and Africa now that was an interesting way of looking at things. That's an interesting way of looking at things, Reverend Mitchell, I said. But doesn't your church use scientific analysis to back you up your own conclusions? I noticed on your bulletin board once an article from a science magazine discussing the so-called Jupiter effect. In parentheses, scheduled for the early 1980s, the Jupiter effect refers to a time when most of the planets in the solar system will be in direct alignment. Some scientists believe their combined gravitational effect may produce severe earthquakes or changes in our planet's crust. Not surprisingly, astrologers have predicted much the same, especially... Am I out of time already? I can't believe it. Praise God. Especially as most of the planets will be grouped together in Capricorn and Earth sign. I also mentioned this last point to Reverend Mitchell. All right. These scientists are describing actual magnetic forces. The astrologers are talking about spiritual energies. We're not basing our prophecy on the moving of nine planets. That's what astrologers do. We're simply observing that some scientists are pointing out what is noted in Matthew 24, that one of the signs of the coming of the last days will be alterations of the weather, earthquakes, tidal waves, and so on. I have no argument with the conclusion. I just don't support astrology as a practice. Could you explain that last statement? Sure. Had a boy in Tucson. I was referring to a boy that was in a meeting there that was saved. Matter of fact, he was here in the conference uh, last week. Who recently, thankfully, got saved. He'd been in, into astrology and he's very accurate with it. But he was in terrible shape. The great body of evidence is that it is corrupting and often misses the point badly. Jeannie Dixon, her prophecies are on the front page, but she's wrong half the time. In astrology and fortune-telling, the divination process itself will affect people's lives. If someone is told they're going to have a divorce, this oftentimes brings about the very prophecy because the person is deluded and believes that Lucifer and his crowd... Um, praise the Lord. Where am I? 
Lucifer and his crowd, like the power of prophecies, look at what happened when all those astrologers predicted the death of President Kennedy, Kennedy, a horrible, horrible thing. Throughout our discussion, I've been impressed with Reverend Mitchell's knowledge about the psychic world, including this last piece of information. Many astrologers had pointed both uh, to both John and Robert Kennedy's imminent assassinations, but I hadn't expected a fundamentalist preacher to know that. I guess they think that preachers, somebody just goes around going... <laughs> I'm out of time. I'm going to have to finish next week. <laughs> God love you. You come back. And our serial is going to conclude next Sunday morning at...